Welcome everybody to episode two of Psychotherapy. You're joined uh, by Niall and uh, Rusty as always. How are you today, Rusty? Um, I'm good. Obviously, you've got your NPR voice cranked all the way up. You sound like you're about to be putting on some smooth jazz bangers. Probably because that's, it's still, that's the whole purpose. Was it still morning time in Australia? Yeah, it is uh, 10, 10 26 a.m. for me. Oh, 10 26 a.m. Just another Aussie morning with Niall, the Australian. 10 26 in the bloody morning. <laughs> but yeah, welcome everybody. We, we just sat down and watched. Uh, I missed the first film. Because I was asleep because you watched it at 4 a.m. my time. It wasn't um, 4 a.m. for me, bucko. But we sat down and watched two two films that we think when it comes to the lexicon of horror, specifically in the 80s, uh, a definite uh, sort of, I guess, visions of how uh, impactful punk rock was to sort of 80s culture and to 80s horror. You know, those two worlds are colliding. Uh, I'll let Rusty kind of describe a little bit more about how they're colliding. Well, okay. So one thing that kind of came to mind for me when viewing like punk rock as a concept and like horror movies specifically as a concept is they're both very reactionary forms of media that oftentimes serve as a commentary Mm -hmm. for the social situation that they exist in. I mean, a lot of people think of, um, punk music, hardcore music as being very reflective of and informed by their social environment. And when you look at the history of horror, you see a lot of the same thing. Um, Whether it's uh, Night of the Living Dead being like an allegory towards um, racism or, you know, any number of 80s horror movies that had thinly veiled references to Cold War anxiety that was popular at the time. Uh, They're both very much um, informed by the environment, socially and politically, that they're developed in. Peas in a pod. Brains in a skull. I think the craziest thing for me with Night of the Living Dead is, is um, as George Romero stated multiple, multiple times, the the, the original role was not written, uh, quote-unquote, black. It wasn't, you know, black uh, star was not, uh, you know, his goal uh, for that character. But... That was the best actor who showed up on the day. So that's how it went. And it's uh, become, you know, this huge cultural stamp mark, uh, whether you're a horror fan or not. Um, for, you know, the 60s, especially at that era, you know, in that era, um, to have a black lead is a huge deal. A huge deal. And George Romero, without even realizing, kind of set in motion. I think that's where it all starts, the social consciousness of horror films. I agree with you that it starts with films like, you know, Night of the Living Dead. Because prior to that, you know, you had the Atomic Age, which was there's no social awareness in the Atomic Age. It's all fantasy. Nothing's based in reality. I I don't know. I don't know if I'd say that there was no social awareness. A lot of that was very heavily influenced by like the cultural paranoia of like nuclear and atomic bombing. Cause like the cold war has been a part of like mm. 
kind of social anxiety since the the end of World War II. So movies like um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1953, I think very much was a nod to like the fear of like Soviet invasion and like Red Scare like ideology. So I don't know if I'd say that like the Atomic mm-hmm. Age was apolitical. If anything, because it was called the Atomic Age, that was very much a deliberate reference to the atomic fear of Cold War era nuclear war. I don't think it was as um, explicit in its depiction as um, horror media and like sci-fi media would mm-hmm. later become in the following decades. But I think I think the seeds, like little baby seeds, started really being planted there. Essentially, subconsciously. I don't think the blob is yeah. about Russia. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, you'd be able to tie that in for the red scare at all, no, or any sort the, of scare. The big, the big pink jelly scare. Maybe people were really afraid of Jello. Like Jello hit the scene, and people were like, mm, "I don't know about that. It's made of horse hooves, and you can put vegetables in it. That's pretty weird." It's Jello fear. They got Jello in Australia. What's that, what uh, they call Jello in what's Australia? That liquid that you guys. Uh, we well, you guys called Jello. We called jelly. Um, we've we've talked about this before. Jelly jelly is what you put on a on a peanut butter sandwich over here, and that would be jam. Yeah, we call we call that jam. Yeah, jam here indeed. here we got distinctions between jams, jellies, preserves. It's just all about how big the pieces of fruit are and how much sugar you put in it. Yeah, I th- I think growing up, I was always given like I was a huge strawberry jam kid. I ate strawberry jam sandwiches all the time. Mm. And it was always thick, proper strawberries that had been, you know, ground up and preserved and stuff. Oh, like yeah. That. Yeah. But we would just call that a lot of Not a lot of sugar. Yeah. So we, we call that sort of stuff jam. Um, and then you can also just, you can get jam, you know, that is super sugary. Mm. Um, like, you know, technically we would also call it a spread, spread. is the other word for spread. it as well. Yeah. Like Nutella, that's a that's a that's oh, a yeah. spread. Yeah, I, I would yeah. think of like Nutella or like any nut butter or like an apple butter. Like that's that's a spread. Some people yeah. call it a jelly, yeah. but like I think spread is a more accurate term there. I think I think with um, when it comes to these films and being, you know, uh, consciously aware of sociopolitical issues and whether intentionally or intentionally. Uh, involving themselves in those or making a statement on those or incorporating um, trends of the time. I think out of like all the film genres that actually bothered to, to really delve into that sort of stuff, it's always been horror. And to speak on even in a, like a modern instance of it, look at a film like Get Out. Some people would call that a thriller. I consider that a horror film personally. Um, it's a psychological horror film, but that is speaking to the social unrest of the time. And it is covering a topic that people don't usually like to discuss. It's not a positive topic. So people do like to kind of, you know, no, I don't want to talk about it, but it's a very needed conversation. And I think through horror, you're able to discuss and show things that you wouldn't be able to show in other mediums and other genres. And I would say it's the same thing for punk with punk. You can express pretty much any thought, any feeling 
any stance that you want, whether that be, you know, uh, being, you know, socially aware or whether that being a complete racist twat, you know, you're able that that happens in punk. And I don't, you don't see that in like, you know, a top 40 song, you know, a top 40 song is going to be telling me, you know, about, you know, um, speaking on Australian punk rock, you know, the suffering of indigenous peoples and things like that. I'm not going to hear that on the top 40 unless it's midnight oil. Um, you know, in America, I'm sure it's similar in the sense of, you know, you're not going to be hearing about social issues and things like that from, you know, uh, artists like Billie Eilish and Tones and I and stuff like that. No, definitely not. At least, at least not in any way that could be um, coded or, or readable. I mean, just, just as it is, like, kind of popular music as a format, I think is something that's, like, deliberately depoliticized to obviously be as marketable to a wide range of people as possible, which is mm. probably what lends, like, punk to being, being so kind of, like, inconsistently marketable in its nearly 50-year existence is that Mm. it is very much a platform where people can express ideas that someone in a corporate office would not be able to, in good faith, describe as marketable. I think it's the the biggest distinction between punk and alternative culture, or not not even so much alternative culture, because that can easily be marketable, but like punk and like hardcore from like everything else is just a matter of marketability. And it's funny yeah, it, that you bring up the distinction of thriller movies because that's another thing that horror is very similar from. Thrillers, or specifically like the genre tag thriller, is very much something that's often brought into play with a lot of horror media because horror mm. is oftentimes not widely marketable. Horror is also a very niche genre, niche scene, so to speak. I would 100% agree. It's also, you know, it's considered the ghetto of film. Like anyone think, because when you think about horror and even in the 80s, when you think about the really big horror horror films, um, you know, you had no-name actors, you had no-name directors, you had, you know, um, simplistic setups in some, you know, some instances. Sometimes they were quite complex films, but um, you didn't need, you know, big names. You didn't need a blockbuster budget to produce a, a film that people enjoyed. Now they're enjoying it for artistic reasons. I think it really depends on the person, but mm-hmm. with horror, it is in a very similar sense to punk rock and hardcore. I also think there's a very big sense of DIY. You know, everything is, you know, you see these horror stars, they go to every convention. They go to all these sorts of things because they're still connected to the scene like the horror film scene um, because they love it. Like, you know, look at someone like uh, a Tony Todd, for example, he goes to all the expos. He goes to all, you know, the meet and greets, all that sort of stuff. He, he does all that sort of stuff because he cares about the community, cares about fostering it. Uh, another good example is uh, Willie Car- Caroline from, who was stretch in Texas Chancellor too. Um, she, you know, is super involved with not only the horror community, but also funnily enough, she's become like best friends with Wednesday 13 in recent times. Who the fuck Um, is Wednesday 13? 
Singing for the murder dolls. Yuck. Yeah. But it is the murder dolls would be a horror punk band. Just not a DIY one. I don't know, man. We've already talked way too much about the murder dolls. Please proceed past but the yeah. discussion of the murder dolls. I would essentially say, like, I definitely agree. And I think I think the term thriller um, often gets attached to horror films when you've got snobs, when you've got people that are like, oh, I'm above horror cinema. It's kind of a tag that people like to put on, in my opinion, to, you know, kind of put their nose up at horror when like, because like a perfect example of that is, I hear so many people say, oh, I love Silence of the Lambs. What a great thriller. That's not a thriller. That is a horror film. That and is a I movie about, about someone collaborating with a cannibal to stop a serial killer. On paper, that's a horror plot. You've got the cop being hung up, you know, and gutted. He's hung up and gutted like he's on the cross. And that's shown on film. How is that not a horrific scene? All the photos of the dead bodies of the of the people. Those are horrific. So I, I find the term thriller kind of insulting because I feel as though it's like, well, horror means that it's trashy and it's this and it's that. So we don't want to attach ourselves to that because we're, you know, highbrow people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's just a way to punch down. Yeah. And I think Get Out is a really good example of especially kind of like certain political subtext between like, horror and like the codifying of thriller when you think Mm. of the social and structural indignities of the especially in america black experience would you describe that as thrilling or would you describe that as horrifying i think it's disingenuous and dishonest to describe it as anything other than horror to exploit and manipulate black bodies for rich white men or rich white people to put their brains in that's again write that down on paper does that sound like a thriller or does that sound like horror a lot of people wouldn't consider you know birth of a nation considered a racist film but Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't consider it a horror film now when you write down what it's actually about which is this film is about propping up the clan calling the clan a good thing and depicting black people as archaic. Um, Now you again, write that down on paper. What does that sound like? That sounds horrifying. Yeah. I think there's just uh, some people allow um, society and culture to essentially railroad them into very narrow definitions of Mm. things. Whereas like what's wrong with calling something horror. And I think that goes back Mm. to, that kind of atomic age where horror was something that was a bit of like, it was B culture. It wasn't high art, high culture. It was low brow, it was low culture. And mm-hmm. so that connotation just kind of stuck around that, like something that's like horror or like a niche genre, it's not um, capable of being considered as high art. And I think a big turnaround, like there's kind of a cult around A24, but I think they do have some merit in contributing to kind of a recontextualization of horror as something that can be philosophical or ideologically rich or worthy of being called artistic. Like, I don't think anybody tried to call like 
hereditary or like midsummer, like not horror movies, because you would have to be mm. like a mental infant to like describe them as anything <laughs> other than like plainly and like unreservedly like horrific and like with the intent to um horrify yeah horrify or, or to to promote or generate fear discomfort unease mm-hmm. it's just, just call, call it what it is you don't gotta you don't gotta be a snob you don't gotta be some yeah. kind of cinema prick it's a horror Thank movie it's thr- thriller mo- it's, to me a thriller movie is like a movie full of like high stress like chase scenes i'd I'd call fucking fast and the furious a thriller film before i'd call the exorcist a thriller film absolutely absolutely with with that all being said um go see go see the newest fast and the furious movie as it comes into theaters it's going to be a blockbuster success with that being said go see that movie it's going to be so good with that all being said, um, I think a big thing that we saw in the two movies we watched today, which again was Night of the Demons and Return of the Living Dead, is um, sort of depictions of punk characters because punk had become uh, somewhat uh, relevant in the mainstream eye, um, you know, with bands like the Ramones, the Clash, things like that. Um, you know, there were those sort of talk shows, you know, oh, my kid turned into a punk, you know, and the, the parents are crying and all that sort of thing. There's that classic, well, what, what, I can't remember what show it was. It was a classic episode of some, one of those talk shows that was about uh, all the New York hardcore scene. Oh, Phil Donahue. That was, in, uh, yeah. that was in 1986 or 1987. Yeah. Um, and you got Jimmy Gestapo on stage and stuff. So that gives like you know, an understanding of where the world was with an understanding of uh, punk rock at the time. Um, one thing that shows another intrinsic link between horror and, you know, punk and hardcore is horror punk bands. The fact that there is a genre called horror punk. I mean, you look at something like um, The Misfits. Some people would listen to The Misfits and miss all the horror references, would miss all that sort of stuff. If they aren't a fan of horror, they're not going to notice that that's a horror reference. They're not going to notice that that's, you know, referring back to, but then again, those they're referring to fifties and sixties sort of films, but still the point still stands. And in night of the demons and return of the living dead, you, I mean, night of the demons, you straight up have a powerhouse song, but yeah, I think, you know, with horror punk coming about, of course, the first band you're going to talk about is the misfits. Like they are the blueprint. I think especially with, you know, you look at stuff like, you know, the, the, the classic cover for Die, Die, My Darling. Even their, even their iconic logo is technically stolen. I believe was it a horror comic? Break me if I'm wrong. The, the Crimson Ghost was from, yeah. I want to say, poster. a film called... Poster. But still, like, their, their songs are full of very specific references to, to horror 20 eyes is about the fly vampira who was um a, a horror host um the, the star of uh, plan nine plan nine records which was uh glenn danzig's first uh record label obviously a reference to plan nine from outer space uh so, you are right about the crimson ghost it is on the movie poster um, it's it's all over, it's all over the place. Uh, the single cover for "Die Die My Darling" was from an EC Comics, uh, I believe, 
Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror story. Um, I mean, Danzig was as much a horror nerd. He was also a big, just comic nerd. Like by as as jacked as he can get, and as many pairs of MMA gloves he may own, he is a dyed in the wool from <laughs> womb to tomb geek, a consumer of nerdy media, and we are all the richer for it. Unless Absolutely. you've seen Veronica, in which case we are all the poorer for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, to, to get a little bit more specific on the movies we've mentioned, specifically the punk rock horror movies that we mentioned, while they aren't exactly full representations of horror as a tool to comment on their social environment, they are very much perfect representations of how sometimes two worlds can come together punk and horror the first movie uh that we want to talk about which niall did miss out on because it was sleepy baby time in australia is obviously return to living dead one of my personal all-time favorites i think i saw it for the first time on showtime or some like cable channel when i was like 10 9 or 10 maybe um and i just thought like you know i i hadn't seen like punks in the real world like i had like a like a concept of like what punk was what punks kind of looked like so seeing return of the living dead i was like these people look so sick now as a as an educated person as a person with experience in subculture i look back now watching it and i think what like why are these punks hanging out with these new wave kids that's very weird i don't know about like the social politics of the punk scene in Louisville, Kentucky in 1984 or Louisville, Kentucky. But I, I just feel like during that time when hardcore is still very much a, an active thing, I, I can't imagine punks and new waivers being so uh, not even cordial, but uh, in a camaraderie with one another. Now, maybe it's just the product of this, small area being overrun by you know government chemicals that raise the dead but it's just it doesn't make sense to me but it portrays punks it has a very funny not throwaway scene where one of the characters suicide goes on a brief rant about how his attire which consists of like a leather jacket with a chain going from his ear to his nose and an X shaved into the back of his head, despite not being identifiably straight edge um, saying that it's not a costume. It's a way of life, which I think was a very tongue in cheek and self-aware uh, nod to the kind of loud way that punks would present themselves, especially in the eighties, but the yeah. soundtrack very good, very punk. You got 45 Grave, classic death rock band. I would say quintessential TSOL, big influence, not only on hardcore, but on goth and death rock, The Damned, and then Straw Dogs, the metal band that the FUs became. And another fun fact before I hand the mic over to Niall is this film was also the directorial debut of Dan O'Bannon, who co-wrote Alien and wrote Dead and Buried, Life Force, Invaders from Mars, and Total Recall. An absolute big brain. 
I think for me, when I when I first watched it, I was looking at the characters, and you know, I I I mentioned my journey into punk and hardcore in the last episode. I didn't really have like a, a street punk phase. I I when I was younger, I was not really into punk. I remember hearing the Misfits for the first time, and the only song I could get into was you know Hybrid Moments, um, and so bands like that you know, and death rock and stuff didn't really appeal to me when I first saw return of the living dead, what did appeal to me and what will always stick out to me is the costume choices, the body motions and just how barbaric Tarman looks. That was a big thing that stuck out to me. Love Tarman. Love brains. You see other zombies, you know, from dawn, Tonight, you know, all, all those sorts of films. And, you know, they just look like normal people kind of walking around. There's something about how that guy was moving that is so fucking creepy. And that was the big thing for me when I first saw it. Watching it again as an adult, I think I find more things that I enjoy about it. I think the discussions between characters are super intriguing. It feels like they genuinely are friends and they're genuinely talking. They're genuinely getting along. They feel like genuine people. And I think that's very, very rare. I think I agree that um, from the idea of realism, uh, new wave kids hanging out with punk rock kids, I I don't see that happening. Um, I think that's two completely separate worlds, but that goes to show you a slight bit of, you know, they didn't really understand the subcultures. They kind of lump them in together because there are some minor similarities to the subcultures. What I like about the film and the biggest thing is at least subcultures are being represented. So many times subcultures are just not represented. People are not represented. And when you're growing up and you want to feel like, hey, like, you know, I want to belong. That's what everyone wants. They want to belong. They want to fit in. Um, whether they want to admit that or not, they want to fit in somewhere. Um, to see yourself or how you envision yourself shown on film is a really good way to feel like you belong um, and you're accepted and things like that. So I think Return of the Living Dead does a big thing for that for punk kids of the era because that was a mainstream film that gave them some form of sort of proper representation. Well, I mean, and not just that, but it's a media representation in the hyper-conservative um, nuclear Reagan family era. 80s where the like punks, as much of caricatures and tongue-in-cheek parodies as they were, as they were being portrayed, at no point are they um, derided or criticized for being punks. They mm. exist as these entities just operating as a part of the plot, which I think shows a lot of sympathy and consideration from the, the filmmakers that like, sure, there's, there's something a little bit, you know, silly or goofy about punks and like being so um, visually kind of loud and wild, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything inherently wrong with that. And I think that's that's another big thing. Like, if you see, like, a punk in, like, some form of media or, like, someone that isn't just trying to be, like, you know, plain, you know, Dick and Jane just trying to fit in, 
like, and they're not, you know, being castigated or made fun of. I think that's enough to tell someone watching that, like, I don't have to be like everyone else to be myself. And, that, and the, like, that's such a powerful thing, even if it's just something that is just so passive or not even necessarily implied, but just like simple portrayal. And I think that that's just like a small, mm. tiny tidbit of why concepts like representation matters, why it's important for, you know, um, POC to be like equally portrayed in media or like marginalized identities, LGBTQ people to be portrayed in media, because just mm. seeing people that you can relate to people that feel more like who you are makes a big difference in how you feel and the anxieties that you feel of who you think you're supposed to be to exist in the modern world or the, the, the real world. Absolutely. I think I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I can't really add anything to that. That's, that's really the points that were all in my head. So I, yeah, I think that's spot on. I think, you know, um, being an Australian kid, um, they're not represented in media ever correctly you unless it's an australian filmmaker or an australian television series i assume everyone's going to be like crocodile dundee you know and that's how we're portrayed and you know any film with an australian is terrible because no one can do an australian right but you know uh i think being australian and being part of the west you're able to identify even with with an american audience and, and with american things um yeah i think it would be good going forward if there were more sort of like you know get some australians in there get some british people in there that sort of thing just some Uh, more regular blokes yeah and just have them act you know as we all do like normal bloody people you know we just have some funny words that's about it um but i think yeah with return of the living dead i think honestly um my favorite depiction of a zombie I, I wouldn't disagree with you. And I think another fascinating thing about Return of the Living Dead, I think it's the earliest example of a movie that I've seen with running zombies. And there's also mm-hmm. no like biological consistency with how zombies function. Mm-hmm. Destroying the brain doesn't do anything. No, there's no mm-hmm. rules. There's several scenes where they like coordinate ambushes to get more brain supplies. Um, the way that people are able to speak without lungs, the way that there's a classic scene where like this, just the skeleton with eyeballs rises from the grave and opens the mouth and, and party time starts playing. And it's so sick. Just the close up of just like this puppet face with like a little bit of like jaw muscles in the eyes. And it just like props wide open. It's like, do you want a party? And it's like, yes, let's go. I also love this where it's like send more cops. Send more cops. Send more paramedics. <laughs> I think it straight up has the most haunting depiction of a zombie as well when the like half the capital oh, yeah. also is on the table and they go, Why do you want brains? And it it says it, because it makes it helps the pain go away. Like God damn it. Like, like it, it creates like a hold on stuff. It creates like a rare kind of sympathy where it's like, yeah, there's like these horrific the things, but like you feel bad. 
because they're not doing it out of in, any intrinsic like hatred or, or or evil. They're doing it out of their suffering, and I also think part of that could be considered sort of a metaphor for for drugs at the time. You know, when you ask an addict why why do you do these drugs, a lot of people will say, well. It helps the pain go away, whether it be mental pain or physical pain, and I think it can be supplemented there. I, yeah, I don't think that's a that's a bad reading. That's something I've never considered before. But like having grown up around the the disease of addiction, having experienced myself, having very close friends that have and continue to go through that, I think that that is something that is really important for consideration, uh, especially with regards to the fact that like addiction isn't a choice that anybody makes and it's something that everybody that experiences wants to go away nobody nobody wakes up and is like you know what i'm going to i'm going to get addicted to heroin today nobody wakes up and is like you know what i think i think i like the idea of being an addict for the rest of my life i like knowing that this is never going to go away and that's that's a a really valid and kind of um identifiable reading for that film for sure i don't think quite as clearly in movies like the fly where i think it was like a deliberate like Mm. you know subtext but i think it's something that can definitely be um a valid read for that movie for sure the other one we watched night of the demons this movie if you have not seen it is just balls to the wall fun it's a it's a wild ride. It is truly as much as the scene in Return of the Living Dead that tells you that it's party time. This movie is party time. They spend yeah. the whole movie in a goth trap house. It's sick. And I I think my favorite scene, I very clearly pointed it out was when I was like, Titty. And it was very clear that it was just like you went to the two dollar store and you got a breast thing to put. You just got it. Just got a full rubber front. Yeah. Um, the effects are not fantastic. That is one thing I will say outright. The effects in that film are not fantastic. What I will say is the characters are well written. Uh, the dialogue is humorous, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and the idea of the demons and the way they're kind of laid out and portrayed is engaging and sort of the escaping also the design of the demon head that thing looks just thick like you get like a necklace with that as like sort of the medallion on it but now i would wear that every day hell yeah that shit's badass and this is this is a movie that I definitely I haven't seen it as many times as as I've seen Return of the Living Dead, but it's a movie that certainly has scenes that really stick with you as a horror fan. For for one, just the entire like aesthetic design, like you can especially see it in the animated intro sequence that there's a lot of that German expressionist influence. But I I would go as far as to say that this is like the 80s like goth horror movie. Like it fully just like embodies that visual element. And I think what really solidifies mm-hmm. and drives that point home with the scene that when you see it sticks with you as a fan is there's this like enchanting, surreal dream, like dance scene with um, the the main character. I think her name's Angela. She's like a, like a witch demon kind of 
you know, entity and they're playing mm-hmm. Stigmata Martyr by Bajas, which just like has this just like scratchy, like very vibe heavy driving like guitar riff. And like granted, you know, as far as discussing that band goes, like the guitarist Daniel Ash took a lot of influence from like dub reggae where, you know, space really matters and how you use that space can amplify like the sound. And I think Stigmata Martyr is a good example of a song where that can be applied to like that goth punk context, but just like mm. that entire scene is just like something that's so surreal and, and dreamlike. And I think that's one thing that horror does really well is it illustrates kind of the off kilter element of like dreams and what it's like to experience something dreamlike and again that whole like german expressionist thing like everything's Mm -hmm. supposed to feel like you know everything's a little bit off like you don't know if you're awake or if it's a dream and it's just it's just so sick it's such a visual treat regardless of the cheesy 80s effects which as cheesy as they are still very sick you still get some Mm. you know cool stuff going on but like just the set design, the like the lighting, the tinting, everything is just the it's score. a good movie. Oof, the score. It's a good movie to watch. It's a good movie to listen to. Um, a lot of people, a lot of fans of horror, a lot of fans of punk, I'm sure have seen Return of the Living Dead. Hopefully everyone, hopefully a million times. I feel like not enough people have seen Night of the Demons. And I implore anyone listening, all three to six of you, please change that. Yes. <laughs> also also please ensure you do not watch the remake and you watch the original i'm not gonna say it's the worst thing i've ever seen but it, it's, one um, the, it's one of the better remakes of an 80s film that that's true but it should not Doesn't serve as a re- it should not serve as a replacement for the original by any means no I, I think my big thing was when i was when we were watching it before because we were talking while we were watching it and i think i i flat out just said during the intro, I was like, oh man, this animation's so sick. This is a Tim Burton film, like as a joke, because Tim Burton is known, whether people know it or not, a lot of people say, oh, that's the Tim Burton style. Now, where he's impl- employing in basically all of his films that he's ever made is German Expressionism, very heavily. There is an animated intro that is very similar to something like, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. It is definitely a German expressionist thing. And you see that throughout the architecture going through the entire film. Um, Probably my favorite scene that I can think of is when they're climbing over the wall. The idea of having to run away from the demons and literally climb barbed wire is like, man, no, no, thank you. Also, I just want to take a sidebar. I know no one listening can see what's going on but right now Niall is wearing what's apparently called an hoodie which looks mm. like if the just the way it's designed it looks like if you combined the the robe that the singer of Candlemas wears with a snuggie and it looks like you're casting spells while taking a very comfortable nap <laughs> I, mirror I'm mirror on the that. wall now I'm just gonna I'm gonna start singing up the gallows end in a minute I, I can't get that high. Can do the twitching tongues version because he doesn't sing sing as high. <laughs> hey, he's trying the best that he can. You, you can't fault him for that. Hey, he he's he out there trying well. the thing. 
I think he was like 18 when he recorded that. Yeah, I remember when I was 18. Whew. I don't. You know what I was doing when I was 18? Drugs. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. No, no. I don't think I was doing drugs when I was 18. I think I was only smoking cigarettes. And having, yeah. having uh, tall boys of PBR with my mates. Don't smoke cigarettes, people. And now I'm straight edge, which is way fucking cooler than cigarettes and beers. Now, bef- before, before we wrap this episode up, because I know yeah. we've been all over the place taking you on a journey to social oh, justice wow. and cheesy punk rock horror movies and having a good time and having a bad time and probably bumming you out while hopefully making at least two of you laugh, I just want to say, um, yeah, just don't ever start smoking cigarettes. It's not worth it. It's not fun. It's 2021. It doesn't make you look cool anymore. And that doesn't mean start vaping instead. Vaping definitely doesn't make you look cool. It makes you look vaping like... Vaping is lame Yeah, it's stupid. It looks like you're sucking on a robot's dick. Yeah. Nobody wants to suck I mean, on a robot's dick. Unless you're into that, you know that's get, fine. You know what we call um, crack pipes in Australia? Robo dicks? No, glass dick. Glass dick. Yeah. Just go with the real you thing. Suck. You know Thank what? You too, it's 2021. I want to see every dude sucking every dude's dick. Now, thank you for listening to psychotherapy episode two where next episode we're going to keep talking about how every dude needs to suck every dude's dick homophobia is over just suck your bro's dick hey brother nice cock (laughs) well i'm rusty that's niall thanks bye fuck off